This is Matt Fraction. You're listening to the Legion of Dudes podcast. Invincible Iron Man, Volume 1, by the Legion of Dudes. from remote galaxies are the most sinister villains of all time. The Legion of... Whoa, dude. What are you doing here? Dog. But we're being watched. Dude! Dedicated to a single objective, the conquest of the universe. It's the Legion of Dudes podcast. And now, here's the dudes. Welcome, everyone, to the Legion of Dudes Presents, The Invincible Iron Man, Volume 1. This is John, and I am joined today by a bunch of jerks, the Legion of Dudes. Tell them who you are, guys. Uh, This is Adam Reed. This is Ken Morgan. And this is Jim Dietz. And that is all for this evening. We're a little short on dudes, which uh, sometimes is a good thing, sometimes not so much. But uh, we're going to trudge through the snow today, and uh, we're going to get it on with the four of us. Before we get started with Invincible Iron Man, we do have a special message from PKD Media, and I think Reed is going to read that for us. What do you say, Reed? Uh, Yeah, we got a uh, message from Sean this week. Uh, I was going around the boards a little bit. Basically, uh, they're releasing PKD Media Presents number one. Uh, That's going to have your two favorite cops are back for another round, and this time they brought some friends. PKD Media Presents. Presents continues the adventures of Mercury and the Murd as detectives Beck Mercury and Am the Murd Murdo deal with the villainous business tycoon or Mr. D and D is for Death Sucker. Beck reuni- reunites with an old friend as sent into a world of danger, intrigue, and twist while Murd and Lieutenant Paint continue to deal with their own problems. This supersized comic also contains the debut issue of Alpha Simeon, XO1 and the Rock Salt Steelbots, Black Danger in Space, Agents of Colt, and Matt, featuring artwork from Chad Ciccone, Daniel Logan, Andrew Charpar, Dave Wachter, Scott Bradley, and front covers by Jim, Big Jim Miller, and Kevin Volo, and it is written by Sean Pryor. Everyone who purchases this comic will receive four free sketch prints from artist Brent Schoonover and a free PKD Media Presents soundtrack CD. That's 104 pages black and white at DCBS and Heroes Corner for seven thirty-eight. so uh, check that out. Yeah, definitely. And um, can you say D is for Death Sucker one more time, Reed? D is for Death Sucker. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) And as you guys uh, may have heard, forum member Lucky Mustard was the winner of our uh, Mercury and the Murder Volume 1 book. He was the first one to post a PKD Media thread on our forums. So congratulations to him. That book will be coming shortly. And uh, we wish Sean the best of luck. It's really good work, and I know you guys are reading it, and... uh, this is exciting, and I think our buddies Brad and Frank are actually agents of cult in one of these stories. Is that right? That's absolutely correct. Brad and Frank uh, are in there. It's uh, I'm looking forward to, to seeing it, and that's a great deal he's got going on at Heroes Corner and DCBS. 
Yeah, really. Seven thirty-eight for uh, you know one hundred and four pages, and it's quality plus, stuff. Plus so. the prints, plus the soundtrack. Right. Yeah. Plus really. It's, um, it's kind of what uh, DC's doing now too with uh, the anthology books. You know, having a lot of different stories in one book. Uh, it's a, it's a great value. I mean, it's a lot of pages for just seven bucks. Right. And just looking at some of the artists, I mean. I don't know too many of them very well, but Dave Wachter has done a couple of commissions for me in the past when I was uh, in my commission phase. And his I know Chad because he's local to Pittsburgh, and he's really good, too. Right, and Big Jim we've spoken about before. I mean, he's fantastic, and he did a, uh, a Fear Agent and Hellboy commission for me recently, and uh, it was awesome. Yeah. So Andrew Charpar uh, has his own book, uh, Tales from the Cornerstone. It's a great, great book. He's done some uh, good sketches from, very good sketches for me. He's uh, out of Florida. We, I've met him at the uh, New York Comic Con at Super Show. Uh, great guy as well. So there's a great team of, uh, of artists out on this book. Very cool. So check it out. Mention the Legion of Dudes when you uh, send Sean a message and spread the word. All right, fellas. So tonight we take a look at Matt Fraction's Invincible Iron Man Volume 1. The artist is Salvador La Roca, colors by Frank D'Amata and Stephanie Peru, and letters by Chris Eliopoulos. That's a guess, but that's Eliopoulos. Eliopoulos. So this was an interesting choice. Um, I'm an Iron Man reader. I, I, I picked up Iron Man when Warren Ellis relaunched the book after Disassembled, and uh, they kicked in this whole extremist angle where iron man now has kind of like nanobots running through his system that fuse him in the armor as one changed up his powers a little bit it was a really good relaunch but um what was interesting was the movie hype machine started up and things weren't going really well for tony stark as the movie approached um were any of you guys reading any of the iron man stuff before the movie came out, the only thing I was reading uh, leading up to this was uh, was the Civil War stuff, not necessarily the Iron Man main title, right? Uh, but certainly Tony was ever present in anything that had to do with Civil War. I read the uh, starting off with the Warren L stuff too, up until everything that led into Civil War, and then of course read Civil War, and then kind of trailed off after that. Right, and I think that's a great place to start because Tony. You know, he was brutalized through Civil War. I mean, it it went back to him being a part of the Illuminati and then, you know, the Civil War disaster, the Registration Act. uh, He's blamed for Captain America's death. He tried to clone Thor. It it was just steamrolling downhill for this character. Um, The book wasn't great at that point, in my opinion. Um, Again, it started off great, but then the tie-in started rolling in. World War Hulk, Civil War... Um, into the scrawl stuff and it was really interesting that it was headed the way it was as the movie was about to come out you know usually it works the opposite when they're pushing a big movie you know they'll 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 really try to push the character so that new readers can jump on you know so when this book launched i think the feeling was and i know my feeling was all right here it is you know here's the new title for the movie everything's going to come up roses and this is the big push for the character and uh, I wasn't really expecting much out of it at all. I guess you guys weren't reading Iron Man at the time, so it really probably didn't uh, cross your minds at all. I thought about reading it just because it wasn't number one, but then I looked at it, and I'm like, this, it, it screamed to me of, of just a marketing promotion, not anything that's going to really matter. Uh, I, I just didn't, re- didn't pick it up at all because I just thought they're, they're making it specifically for the movie audience so they can go to their comic books and they can say, oh, great, here's, here's issue number one for you. And um, I, I just had no interest in, in reading that. Um, I didn't expect it to 
to count, if you will, towards the overall storyline and continuity of Iron Man. Not that you know it has to tie in directly with whatever's going on in the greater universe, but I like to see some consequences hold true, and I really didn't expect that from this book, so I really didn't even touch it or even look at it until much, much later. Now, was this did this one start off before that Aaron the Mandarin uh, miniseries went out, or is this uh, was this right after the movie? I would guess that they're very close to each other. The, the first Iron Man title definitely did not end yet. It was still Iron Man Director of S.H.I.E.L.D. or whatever they were calling it at that point. So there were the two Iron Man titles were running simultaneously, um, and the end of the Mandarin came in at some point in there. I, I feel like it came out... I, I wasn't really interested so much in the Director of S.H.I.E.L.D., and then I, I wanted to read something around that time uh, the movie was coming out, and that enter the manager and I, I looked through a few of the pages and it kind of turned me off to it. I was like, yeah, just wait. Yeah. That was so. a very cartoony style one, right? It was, yeah, it was, yeah, one, it was like, almost anime type. I, I thought, right. All I had read up to, up to this point was the actual civil war miniseries. So that was the only like following of Iron Man I had done up until this point. Now this happened, uh, where does this happen? This happens like after that, well, he's director of S.H.I.E.L.D., I would imagine, because he's still got Maria Hill as Beck and Call in, in this miniseries, right? Right. It's He's director of S.H.I.E.L.D., and the Registration Act has happened. You know, we'll get into the issues, but he is referring to unregistered heroes as outlaws, yada, yada. Right. It also appears it's also post uh, One More Day from Spider-Man, although that whole thing is kind of sketchy as to what yeah, Peter, does, Peter does or doesn't know about that as well. Because that's right, inconsistent yeah. in his own title, but when we get to the well, last the issue, thing, that's it's in like there. you can tie in a, a, a comic to a movie and and do it well. And I think a really good example of that was the uh, the Brian Azzarello Joker uh, graphic novel that came out yes. right around the time of the Dark Knight movie. I thought that I mean it was a story unto itself. You know, it, it w- w- didn't really you know, quote unquote matter in continuity, but it was really well done. And the Joker in that book was very much in the flavor of the Joker mm-hmm. in the movie. This, to me, seems like the, the Iron Man in this is very much in the flavor of the Iron Man of the movie. The armor looks like the armor of the movie. We see the same kind of tech uh, that we saw, you know, Robert Downey Jr., you, you know, the, the heads-up display and all the different thing, uh, effects like that that we saw in the movie. It's got a lot of the main players from the movie, Pepper Potts. Uh, you know, Obadiah Stane figures into the story, and the whole Iron Monger thing uh, shows up as a flashback. So it's very much you know tuned for people who are just stepping out of the movie and they're like, "Wow, Iron Man's really cool." Well, you know, oh, we're number one. But you know, I think I think it was pretty well done. And I mean, I don't know if there's like a lot of lasting stuff here that's going to affect Iron Man continuity. But I mean, this is this and that that Joker graphic novel I mentioned before are like good ways to to tie it in rather than just you know a cash in type thing like we've seen with other superhero movies right and uh, again we're gonna we're gonna get into it right now but um you know it it tied into the movie it gave new readers a good jump on point but you know it ends up having written i don't want to say having real consequences but it ends up being very much the character that we know from the comic book universe and it ends up being the only iron man title by the end of the you know, not by the end of this arc, but by issue 10, it's, you know, it's now the Iron Man book. So it, it really has evolved from the, the movie tie-in to the, you know, proper Iron Man in the universe, which I thought was really cool. Okay, so issue one, I'll run it through quickly. I'll do my best Murd. 
and then, and then we'll talk about it afterwards. So we start off in Tanzania. We have a group of young ladies that have purchased their first Stark phone with a camera, and uh, everything looks great at this point. And then a car rolls up, and a bunch of crazy teenagers jump out, and they are yelling and screaming, and they have glowing body parts that look a lot like Iron Man's chest plate and uh, repulsor rays. And they set off a small nuclear explosion in the village, um, killing everyone. And we then cut to Iron Man, who is repairing the space shuttle in a, in a pretty cool scene. He's talking to the astronauts. He's telling them that everything is going to be fine. And then in the next instant, it seems, he is making time with a lovely, I would say, European model. Um, and they're talking over drinks and some other pleasantries. Um, and suddenly Tony gets a phone call that he needs to go right away to S.H.I.E.L.D. to the helicarrier. So we then cut to S.H.I.E.L.D. and he's with Maria Hill and our favorite Dum Dum Dugan. And they are briefing Tony on the explosion. Uh, they believe that it was set off by Advanced Genocide Mechanics, which is a new splinter group. They're kind of taking credit for the explosion. And Maria reveals that one thing that was found at the site was the uh, circular disc that we're all very familiar with from, Iron, from old school Iron Man's armor um, and from the movie. So it seems that there was some Stark tech involved in this explosion. Um, so Tony, of course, wants to get involved. He begins arguing a little bit about whether he is allowed to join the uh, search and the strike in this mission because he's now director of S.H.I.E.L.D. and he's got a lot more responsibilities and uh, then we cut into Jones Reynolds and Jones World Headquarters, New York, New York. It's a very corporate place, a very fancy office, and we meet Ezekiel Stain for the first time, which is Obadiah Stain's son. Looks to be in his mid-20s or so, very casual, T-shirt, uh, shorts, and he's going into this big corporate meeting. Passes through a scanner, and the uh, secretary asks if he has a pacemaker, and he says, yeah, no microwave popcorn, okay? And we learn that that's not a pacemaker soon. Um, so he meets in front of this board meeting, and they're all expecting a presentation on how he was supposed to um, higher basal metabolic rate in the people that smoked uh, their cigarettes so that people would actually lose weight by smoking their cigarettes. So everyone's expecting a, a presentation on that, and he explains to this group of businessmen that he's actually used their money to upgrade himself, and he's done some work on his hypothalamus, and he's taking all of this wasted energy that uh, us humans have, and he has harnessed it. And he reveals that he has some objects connected to his fingers. Uh, they begin to light up, and he starts fire-beaming everybody in the office. And he kills everyone pretty violently in this meeting. Uh, he's very happy with himself. He jumps out of the window, crashes through, lands on the concrete. Uh, we then cut to the helicarrier. Tony is asking uh, Rhodey, War Machine, for some help and some advice on what's going on with the armor. Uh, Tony reveals that he has an armor map, and he has been tracking everyone that has Stark Tech in their uniform or suit. And he knows that none of them have been in Africa, so he's having trouble putting together who exactly has used his technology in this attack. We then cut back to Ezekiel Stain. He's in a limo with his psycho girlfriend, Sasha. And they're talking over how well the uh, attack on the boardroom went. 
He's having a little 20,000 calorie paste to replace his uh, energy that he just expended. Um, he starts to talk a little bit about the heat that he is releasing. He's having trouble with the heat yields from these upgrades that he's done. Um, it seems to be tearing his body apart a little bit. He gets bad burns and, and things like that from the upgrades that he's using. We then cut to Tony and Pepper. So we meet Pepper for the first time in this book in an elevator. And um, Tony's kind of talking about the same things. He's mirroring Ezekiel here. He's saying that he's having trouble with heat yields as well. He's also having some other trouble with the armor. Something's not running right. He's going to have Pepper check that out. And then the armor attaches itself to Tony, and he takes off to check out what has happened. He's raiding the uh, AGM site, which is this advanced uh, genocide mechanics. There are some aim-looking characters that uh, are aimlessly shooting, and Tony's going to dispatch them rather easily. In the meantime, he's getting a message from Pepper saying that they found a Stark telephone on the scene of the original explosion. And um, it has a picture in it. So he asks Pepper to show him the picture immediately. And Tony gets to see that the three boys that caused that original explosion were, in fact, using Stark tech. And he talks about his two nightmares, which maybe we can get into a little bit here. That's the end of the first chapter. The book is called The Five Nightmares, and the first two nightmares are revealed here. Um, the first nightmare is that Tony would ever drink again, which we know this, again, is linking back to the history of Tony Stark in, in the Marvel Universe. We know he had that terrible drinking problem. and uh, Demon in a bottle. Demon in a bottle. There it is. There Demon it is. in a bottle. Right, so that refers back to that a little bit. And he also reveals here at the end of the chapter that uh, he's afraid that the armor would become cheap and replicable so that one day his great Stark tech would be able to, you know, anybody could start making it. And that's one of his nightmares. Um, and that's the first chapter. So I'd say a little bit of a, of a setup here. We get to meet everybody. Um, it does connect this universe, the movie universe, maybe with the comic book universe. Did you guys get a feel that he was trying to tie that together, the two worlds? I, I thought that the characters he used, uh, are they using this, definitely do that. My one problem with, if you're truly trying to connect it to the movie, is that some of the things that they're alluding to, like uh, they, they allude to the extremist armor, um, they don't really give much explanation of what that is, which I think would be confusing. And um, I, I would make, I don't know, I don't know how y'all feel about this, but I would have made him look a little bit more like Robert Downey Jr., I don't know if that's what they're going for, mainly here with this being this story. But uh, a lot of things that are going on, I think, are are really set in what the book's going, what's happening in the book previously, and uh, as far as like him being director of Shield. So, I, as far as picking up the movie audience, I think that's they need to maybe not change the story, but maybe do a little bit more explaining, a little more setup. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes me question right off the bat is if that's what they were trying to do. I mean, I think, I think it's okay, like you said, for new readers, but I think it does tie more into the comic book universe than, you know, than straight to the movie. I mean, this is the comic book Tony Stark. It's not the Robert Downey Jr. Tony Stark, um, which to me is a good thing. I think stylistically, though, I mean, if you look at the, the style of the armor and the style of the tech, 
it's very much in the in the uh, you know the the idea of the uh, the movie, um, and plus like having Pepper Potts having you know Stain as the as the villain or whatever, it's obviously you know a nod to the movie. So I think it's kind of trying to bridge the gap between the two. My my only problem with the with the the book so far in, in this first uh, issue is that we we get this uh, kind of weird um, facial perspective in a few panels. Uh, like this, the scene where uh, Ezekiel is in the uh, in the boardroom, and he is putting the stuff on his uh, fingertips, little repulsor rays or whatever. And then the the next page over, I mean, the the facial, it just the the perspectives don't look quite right on the face. And I think it's a cool idea, you know, that this guy, this here's this guy taking uh, you know Stark's tech to the next logical step instead of you know converting, you know, instead of wearing an armor, using yourself as the power source. I mean, I think that's a good and clever idea, but he just seems like a very rote villain. It just seems like you know, oh, you, you know, you kill, you know, my name is Sinigo Montoya. You killed my father, prepared to die. You know, it's just, I just, I don't know. Like we were saying during the All Star Superman episode, you know, a good hero is really defined by their villains. I think that's why Batman is such a great hero, is because he has you know the best rogues gallery or whatever. Or Spider Man, and I just, you know, I just wasn't feeling it. I mean, I thought the concept was good, but I just didn't understand. Other than the fact that he thought he killed his dad, why he was gunning for Stark, why he was killing all these innocent people, why he just had like random bombings all over the world, you know, I mean, what was the point he was trying to prove? What's his motivation? It just kind of kind of lost me. I, I think they just use him just because of the name that they want. They knew they couldn't use Obadiah Stane because obviously he's dead, so they just want to, to get that name out there. As far as like some of the art, uh, I I totally agree with you, and that specific. Uh, image that you referenced uh, i think that one just looking at it, i think it's it's the lighting uh on his face that really makes it look like it's off it doesn't it doesn't look natural it just looks like his, his neck would be turned like three different ways for his, his face to be in relation to his body like that you know what i mean right right is that i got that it looks like he's ripping his skin he off is. actually he is so he's always doing he's ripping the skin off and the, the implants are underneath yeah he had it covered so i guess nobody would notice right away and Ezekiel Stain's not new, just so you guys know. I mean, uh, he's not, he's definitely not like in the main rogues gallery, I guess you would call it, for Iron Man. They use him a lot, I, I believe, in Matt Fraction's book, The Order. But I agree, they definitely used him to. I really like the way this artist draws tech, like the, the scene, the double page spread where he's looking at the armor map, you know, of all the different people who use armor, or whatever, is great, but. It just I think he struggles with the faces. Again, in the scene with, uh, with Stay Natasha in the back of the car, I mean, I mean is she supposed to be Asian or, or Mexican? Or, Asian. Like, okay, because her face looks really flat, and, and it just doesn't... Let's say we'll see her in later issues as well, um, and it's a little clearer that she's um, Asian. One thing about, you know, you're talking about his motivation, not everything, I think, has to be revealed in, this, in a first issue. You want to get a taste of what's going on. Um, and at least something for the mystery of what's going on. Every everybody who we need to know is introduced in this issue. Everyone from Maria Hill and Pepper Pepper Potts down to Rhodey and of course Stain, along with Tony. So we kind of get a good intro to the overall arc and the, and the status quo of this world. Um, but there's still a lot to be discovered over the next you know four or five issues, however many are left in this arc. Just to get back to the art real quick, what's up with the uh, him and the Hummer on page twenty eight? That, does that look odd to you? That whole uh, two first panels on the page, or is it just me? I gotta find it. My pages aren't numbered. The one where he's like leaping towards it. Yeah, that and, and um, the one above it just looks a little, little, 
funky to me. I don't know. Especially with... I, I'd say that this... Some of the art in this tends to be closer to more photorealistic. And... and I don't know. That's just... Just me, I guess. No big deal. <laughs> I don't... I'm, I'm looking at it. I mean, I, I see... The only thing I see is that they... In the, in the bigger panel... He's like two hand hammering the Hummer, like he's using both fists to pound down on it. Yeah. But in the in the frame above it, he's just got the one hand up in the air, which well, really doesn't like. I guess you can't really tell what he's doing. Yes, the the, the left hand is uh, he's got for stability, and the right hand's doing the work. So there you go. Right. Okay. But the only thing that throws me off is I guess the way the top panel is drawn, where his his right leg is uh, is is in the next panel, is it just kind of throws your perspective off a little bit, but. If I right. try to match that out, you know, it, it seems to work for me. But the perspective does seem a little off. Maybe uh, that's what's between me Iron Man that. and uh, and the Hummer in that first first panel. I'm just trying to act like I know something about art, which is <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, chapter two is called Murder Inc. So Tony has found out that it's his tech. Um, he he gets into right away that he's afraid of becoming obsolete. He's kind of. You know, we get this whole perspective that Ezekiel is the next step in the in the Tony Stark armor and technology system, and, and so and now they're giving you the opposite end that Tony feels that he's getting old and obsolete. Um, so he's on this raid of the AGM, and he meets Modog, who uh, I'll leave that for when we discuss the issue. He's basically a giant head, like uh, kind of like a Modok. So Tony makes pretty quick work of him. Uh, he basically flies by and grabs him by the hair and slings him into space, the murderous dog that he is. Again, Tony's talking about his uh, problems with heat expenditures. You know, he's saying that he has these all this billion-dollar equipment and he still needs all this heat to fire his rocket boots, which, again, it, you know, it comes into play later, and it is mirroring Stain's problems with all of the, uh, with the heat. Um, we then go to a ceremony in the Philippines... There's a ceremony for the Triumph Division, and there's a there's a very nice background uh, talk. The, the narrative talks about how when superheroes are out in the public, um, you know, somebody always gets too close. Somebody shakes a hand a little too long or hugs them a little too long. It makes everybody nervous. It gives them the real feel that um, the real um, realistic celebrity feel of of these superheroes um and it turns out that one of the monks that is putting a wreath around the superhero's neck is a walking bomb again it looks like the same tech the glowing uh blue power yields that we've seen before in the explosion and there's a huge explosion killing everybody at the ceremony we find out on the next page that it is ezekiel stain it seems like he's working for somebody and they and they have a plan to do more of this kind of work and as the man starts questioning uh, Ezekiel's motives, and Ezekiel gets a little bit uh, tense in the conversation. You can see the light and the heat just start to boil up underneath his skin. Like, he's really obviously lost it, and he has all of these power yields going off in him that is going to be a problem. He then shows us the wonderful operating room where he's going to create an army of these walking bombs. Um, and we have Sasha again, and there's blood everywhere, and it looks like a pretty dingy and dirty um, operating table where they're going to create these soldiers. We then go, we cut to Rhodey, Pepper, and Tony, um, and they're on. They're at the site of one of the explosions. They're, they're talking over things that have happened, saying that whoever's, whoever's creating these explosions, the, the, the scale is getting bigger each time, and, and it's a growing problem. 
Um, we then clip to Tony, and he is at the funeral uh, for the superheroes that had just died. Um, and Tony is shaking hands of family members and paying his respects. And lo and behold, Thor flies down to uh, show his face at the funeral and give his respects. And Tony and Thor have a little bit of a semi-confrontation that we're going to get into uh, when we finish the issue. Uh, nothing is resolved between the two of them. Uh, we then cut to Taiwan, and there is a big Stark party, and Tony and Pepper are there, and they're uh, celebrating, I believe, uh, the opening of a new building, of a, a billion-dollar think tank that they've put together. Uh, it's a great black tie party, and everybody's having a great time. And Tony, of course, acts like a jerk and tells Pepper to get drinks for the new girls that Tony has just met. She throws the drinks in his face and storms out of the party. Uh, lucky for Pepper, because just then some terrorists bust in. Again, they are armed with the Stark tech. Uh, they're screaming, God is great, God is power, and they blow up the building. And that is the end of the issue. We see a bunch of rubble falling Pepper's way. So that's issue two. So again, we get a little bit more, uh, a little bit more set up, a little bit more of these bombings around the world, and some interesting things happen in this issue. What do you guys think? It really feels like a lot more. It's, it's. I almost don't want to say it's more set up because it still feels like no, like nothing happened. It's just more like we're still moving the pizza to get to something bigger. But I don't feel any sense of urgency like if i had been giving this a shot and if i had read it the first or second issue i probably wouldn't have stuck with it the whole modog things feels like it was just kind of throw in there to show off what tony can do um it was resolved so quickly with no consequence at all uh to his even existence it just threw me off of course that whole sequence was like these aren't the guys we're looking for you know it's like uh just just there to show off tony's power um, I'm sorry, Mario. The princess is in another no, the castle. castle. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I love me some Modoc, yo. I think he's like one of the silliest uh, villains Marvel has head, ever created. You know, like him, him and Armin Zola, you know, with the guy whose face is in his chest or whatever. But uh, I just, I think he's hilarious. And then to see Matt Fraction take something that's like so ludicrous and just turn it a little bit, you know, like. The you know advanced idea mechanics of those guys with the yellow buckets on their head you know change idea to genocide and they're a little scarier you know change you know Modoc to Modog and you have a you know you know a, a screaming uh, you know pedagogue with tiny little arms and little little feet you know it's uh, it's interesting how Fraction like takes some of these you know Marvel conventions and kind of twists them a little bit that's cool um, but I agree with Ken there's it's, it seemed like there was a lot still more setup you know. Um, and I, you know, in the second issue is, I, I would think, you know, you'd start at least seeing the plot, you know, kick in. I mean, and, and, you know, I know what you were saying before, Ken, but just even reading through the whole series, I really don't think that like Stain's motives are really well put out there. And I'm, I'm a fan of Fraction. I really mm -hmm. liked Iron Fist that he did with Brubaker and I really liked Casanova I thought that was really good but here I just you know the, I think he's got the, the voice of Tony down very well but as far as like advancing the plot it just seems like he's kind of stretching yeah. this you know story that you know in the 80s or you know would have been in two issues to you know the size of a trade paperback you know, the, the, the only the only truly interesting part for me was the whole uh, funeral and Thor sequence but that's to me knowing the history of these two, certainly the recent history of these two, 
between uh, their encounters in Civil War and in the Thor title, that I, uh, assuming this series was meant to be an entry point for for new readers coming out of the out of the movie, that's that se- that sequence means nothing to them, and so why it was it was fun and enjoyable and meant something to me, uh, I can't see it being that powerful to anybody else. See, that's why I question Chipped whether it was armor. ever meant to be. That was you know, great. I, yeah, yeah, that's that's great. And I, I really I question whether it was ever meant to be. Yeah, it was timed with the movie, but I think it was meant to take over as the Iron Man title. I mean, which it has. You know, I don't. I, you guys are absolutely right. You know, coming out of the movie and saying, "Wow, Iron Man's cool. I'm going to buy this book." They're going to be like, well, "What's with Thor? How does Thor hate Iron Man?" I mean, there's no way of finding out. So well, I, I really feel like it was written for the, you know, for the comic fans. I mean, the, obviously, it's timed with the movie. It's but, probably both because I mean, you you want to you want to jump in on point for those those new readers who might be interested after the movie. You know, and you want to maybe introduce them to some other characters in the Marvel universe. You know, like the Spider-Man issue coming up at the end. You know, but this would have been a, a nice spot to have one of those classic editorial sidebars for more information on Thor and Tony's relationship. See Thor issue number two or whatever it was. You know, whatever issue that was. Is, it, is this the first time the they've seen each other since that issue? No, no. And 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 one of the one of the points I wanted to get to is that I, I really think Marvel is building towards. Thor and and Tony going at it. They need a big knockdown dragdown, I think. Because it happened in Thor. You know, we did Thor. Right, we went over that on the Thor on the Thor one shot. Right. So it really seems like they're building towards like Tony cannot let it die. Like Thor obviously does not want to speak to him. And Tony's so like insecure about he wants to be accepted that he's doing the right thing, you know, through all of these bad things that have happened. You know, it seems like that in that scene, too, because they're talking about the woman who died, and then all of a sudden he's like, this isn't about us. You right. know, and Thor, Thor didn't even like go there at all. You know, yeah. He didn't mention anything like that. They and were I just talking the, about the woman who had died. Right. I thought the dialogue, the, uh, like the, they're not even thought bubbles, they're the boxes, but you know, he's saying, you know, Thor, look at me. Come on, man, look at me. Like He just, yeah, it's the, it's, he just it's wants Tony's. to be accepted again by Thor, and Thor obviously you know, will not budge. Right. What's up with the drawing? Really, how Thor is drawn? <laughs> I think Jim, you had mentioned this earlier uh, about yeah Thor's face again. It was the same kind of problem I was saying. It looks like the perspective of his face. You know, he's kind of it's kind of like he's looking down, but not. And you can tell he's looking at uh, he's he's using you know the new Thor um, you know clothes and style or whatever. But it just, it didn't seem like the face fit the helmet right. I don't know. It just um, I'm or maybe the body. It's just my problem. Yeah, maybe it's just my problem with this uh, this artist or whatever. The, the the thing that kind of bothered me about this issue though is here we are. We're going to introduce a whole new super team of superheroes, yay! And then we're going to kill them two pages later. You know, it's like, yeah. Oh, hey, here's all these great concepts. Well, too bad they're all dead. Goodbye. Right. You know, it's like, why am I supposed to care? You know, they're just another part of me. You know, why? What's my connection? I I don't have any. I do so, like I how mean, he chips the. Uh... I like how he chips his armor like without any. Uh, yeah, he just barely, Thor taps it and and, uh, and and it's chipped. Yeah, just that was a good moment. I, yeah, if I ever wound up and cranked you, man, you, <laughs> it would be over. Um, you know what I thought was interesting? I thought it was interesting that um, you know Tony tries to do. We were just kind of speaking about it a little bit. He's so concerned about like trying to do the right thing, and, and the big a big part of his character is struggling with doing the right thing and 
he basically saves Pepper's life by being a jerk and doing the wrong thing. You know, she if she doesn't storm out of the party because he's an idiot, she probably dies with the rest of the people in the building. So it's interesting that like n- nothing is working, nothing works out for him the way it's supposed to. Something you didn't mention, John, is uh, right before uh, after Pepper leaves and uh, the terrorists burst in, uh, Ezekiel Stain actually uh, kind of introduces himself to Tony. I don't know right. if yep. they've met each other before, but yeah, he's he's on the scene. Yeah. It's also interesting. Who did, like? Do you think it matters? Like, who's who did Pepper call? It probably doesn't matter. I'm like so used to looking at this stuff like Watchmen, and you know, clearly it's not. But she stormed out and was on the phone with somebody. You know, I don't, I don't know what that. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's just who she was going to call to pick her up because she was leaving the party or whatever. But maybe it's Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> okay, it's John Farfra. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want more money to be in the sequel. Yeah, like everyone else. Just like Sam Jackson. Oh, he signed on now. For nine movies only. Yeah, Yeah, after they drove the truck of money to his house. (laughs) Okay, so issue number three, Pepper Potts at the end of the world. Uh, So Tony's pretty frantically looking for Pepper. Um, They give you this whole vibe of, you know, does he love her? Is, Is it the idea that she's... You know, this classy and good person, which is like the exact opposite of what Tony has become. And he, he's trying to be that. He mentions that he'd be responsible for her death, even though, uh, again, you know, being a jerk to her is what ended up saving her, which is kind of ironic. But um, he says he'd never be able to forgive himself if anything happened to her. We get a really cool panel of the bloodied Ezekiel stain on a stretcher, you know, as Tony does find Pepper and, and gets it to an ambulance. Uh, we see that Ezekiel's made it through. His enhancements obviously can uh, get him through some damage. Ezekiel talks about needing a uniform because these heat yields are just too much as he leaves the hospital. And again, like they give him a little resistance in leaving the hospital, and he just destroys everyone in the hospital. Then Tony talks to a doctor about Pepper. Apparently, she has a lot of the uh, similar issues that Tony had originally. She's got things moving around, and she's in too weak in the state to have them removed. So... Tony's got the idea that he's going to put his stock tech into her to uh, try to keep her alive. Um, we then get the history of uh, Obadiah Stane and his relationship with the Stark family, how things kind of went poorly. Uh, we find out that he was obsessed with chess, which is a little bit of foreshadowing for later on. Uh, we also find out that Obadiah was nuts because he saw his father, who was a gambler, um, kill himself in a little Russian roulette-style suicide, um, and that's what caused him to lose his hair. Uh, we see the throwdown between Iron Man and Obadiah. Tony goes, and he is scanning the scene of the Taipei bombing, looking for anything that he can find. He's also throwing out a kill signal uh, so that any Stark tech that's left in the area, um, he, can, he can shut down so it can't be used. Then Tony is uh, confronted by the Raiders, which seem to be like a Chinese superhero police force. And Tony's not welcome there, so they're going to chase him. And and there's a little bit of an aerial chase scene. Tony finds out that it's actually like fat Chinese gamers that are controlling these suits of armor. There are no pilots in them. Um, So Tony's going to make quick work of them now. 
And uh, again, he has this. Uh, he has the power coil, which is the proof that the Stark tech is being used. Um, he comes back. He visits Pepper in the hospital. Uh, we switch to an unknown location where Ezekiel has salvaged some Stark tech, and he has made a really cool uh, suit of armor that's going to help him kill Tony Stark. And that is the end of that issue. The ahead, opening scene of this issue is very much uh, like an action film with the explosion. I can see it in like super slow mo, like Zack Snyder style, you know, with the fire sweeping across the room. Right, definitely. Yeah, there was definitely some more action in here. I like the, um, I like the aerial chase stuff. I like the foreshadowing they do. There's, there's a couple of there's a couple of bits of dialogue, um, and of course the stuff of Ob- Obadiah being a chess uh, addicted person. You know, that's going to foreshadow what happens later on. I'm not sure what um, I'm not sure what version of the armor I find more believable. Um, this armor, where it's just another room and can just fly on its own into his body, or the old like demon in the bottle era, where he just carries it around in his suitcase and can suit up whenever he wants to. Right. <laughs> I really like the art and the uh, flashback scenes. I think it's it's pretty cool. I like when they do that in in different books and flashbacks. I also liked uh, that those Chinese raiders were were gamers. That was pretty funny. And uh, he says something to the effect of. Uh, that um, how you play a um, hey first person shooter is and how you fight in real life. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, definitely. As us all being with us all being gamers, I thought we'd all appreciate that. <laughs> they look like giant anime robots. They they kind of look like uh, Gundam. Yeah, Gundam yeah definitely. I got a feel of that. Reminded me a lot of the uh, in Green Lantern um, when they had those couple issues. Uh, with uh, Green Lantern dealing with uh, the the Russian rocket squad or whatever that yep. was, same type deal. The same kind of meeting the um, international airspace or the the another territory unwelcome. That right. was I think what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like I don't know. Um, I know Matt Fraction hadn't written a bunch of superhero stuff before this, and it almost seems like he's trying to find his superhero voice. You know what I mean? Because um, these action scenes, they. You know, um, I think somebody who had written more superhero uh, stories would have had more action in the two earlier issues. This issue is almost all action from the very beginning, you know, with the explosion to him saving Pepper to him fighting the Chinese robots and to the video at the very end with Stain saying he's going to kill him, all except for the flashback. So I I, I don't know if, uh, you know, Fraction is like, like this is his transition from indie to mainstream superhero or, or what. It just... um. Uh, it just seems like, uh, like I said earlier, this could have been done in like a couple of issues, but it's kind of spread out. Right. And I do, you know, I do like, like you said that he's got Tony's voice down. I, I do like his interaction. Like, I really like his stuff with Maria Hill. You know, they're kind of jabbing back and forth. Like, they kind of have like an angry brother-sister relationship thing going where, they're, you know, they're throwing jabs at each other constantly. I, I like what he does with Pepper, you know, relationship-wise. Um, and, and maybe it's like he said, maybe he just got off to a little bit of a slow start on the action end or, or how fast to pace things. Um, yeah, I think dialogue-wise, he's, he's doing really well as far as the voices of the different characters. Except for, I, like again, I, I have problems with Ezekiel Stane just because it just seems like he's just very one note, you know. But, I mean, the interaction with uh, Tony and Rhodey and Pepper, you know, the three of them are obviously, you know, well know each other well, and you can tell by the way they speak to each other. I mean, and, and Fraction writes good dialogue. I just think, like, maybe his problem, it might be with the pacing and the plotting. Issue four, which is called Neutron Bomb Heart, um, starts off with a really interesting uh, game of chess between Tony Stark and Reed Richards, 
Um, again, some foreshadowing here, which, which we'll talk about. Tony leaves the game with a, a bit of a revelation that uh, he knows he, he's had some sort of epiphany of how he's going to stop Ezekiel. He's down in the garage doing his uh, work on the armor, and Pepper walks in, um, and she has made it through the operation. She has the Iron Man, the, the disc in her chest, just like Tony used to have. Um, and she's talking about how well she's doing, and um, she hears better. Her tinnitus is gone. She feels stronger. So the the upgrades, so to speak, that he's used ha- has really done well. But um, she's saying that she she doesn't want it in her anymore. Um, she she tells Tony that she's not a bomb. She doesn't want to be a bomb, and she feels that you know the Stark Tech equipment is is rooted as a weapon, and uh, she doesn't want to be part of that. So she asks that Tony remove it. Then again, we have Tony and Maria Hill going back and forth. We then go to Ezekiel and Sasha, and they are putting together all this equipment to set up this uh, bomb army. And Ezekiel's saying that uh, he, he's, he's learning how to harness this power so he can shut it on and off as, as, he, as he wishes. So he's getting better, but the upgrades that he's used on himself have left him a few pieces short for the plan that they have. And they're thinking about, well, we learned that, that the plan is to attack all of Stark's plants at one time. And he's short the equipment to do this. So Sasha is going to hit the black market and try to find some more Stark tech. And then we find out that Tony's plan is to tag some of his tech and put it out on the black market. So he'll be able to find where it goes and find um, Ezekiel. So he sells it to a big uh, black market collector who looks a lot like Danny DeVito and his daughter looks a lot like Paris Hilton. Uh, Mr. Gross, which is an interesting name as well. We'll get into that as we finish up the issue. So again, he, he talks to Pepper a little bit quickly, tells, lets her in on the plan. Um, you see the wheels get in motion of how this, how this plan is going to go into action. The, the tech that Tony has leaked out is, is, is getting around on the black market. We get a quick segue to Tony talking about buying a Coca-Cola company because they've been so successful in putting their vending machines all over the third world countries that he's going to use these vending machines to put vaccines in. So we kind of get a look at Tony's good side and the things that he's trying to do around the world in the meantime. Again, we see panels of uh, the black market. There's a whole page dedicated to the drop-off and the pickup of some of these uh, Stark Tech pieces that Tony has left as a trap. We go to two days later. Again, uh, Pepper is asking that the tech be taken out of her um, because she doesn't want to be part of being a weapon. And Tony reveals that it's actually Rand Industries technology, not Stark tech. So Tony, I guess, was thoughtful enough to not use his own technology, knowing that she would disapprove. We find quickly that Pepper can now levitate with this technology in her. And we go back to Maria Hill and Tony. Maria is complaining that Tony has not given this technology to S.H.I.E.L.D., but yet he has given it to Pepper, and we get a little bit of jabbing back and forth between them before the end of the issue. So... Let me ask you something real quick, John, if that's okay. Are you done with the synopsis? Yep. Okay, great. Um, In the very first issue, he's talking about how at one point somebody stole his tech, and him and Rhodey had to go back and take it all back from everybody, right? Uh-huh. The very first issue. And now here we are. We find out that, that Stain is finding all this Star Tech, which is enabling him to make these human bombs. Okay? Which is it? 
did they get back all the Star Tech, or is there all the Star Tech floating around out there? I think the issue is that Stain is the son of a man that had access to all of this stuff. So, right, but he says in the earlier issue, he's like, we took it all back. There's only two you know, sets of armor left. My friend Rhodey has one, and I have one. You know, and yeah, I mean, just, it's never uh, really, it's never, I mean, the answer is it's not explained exactly how he got it. Yeah, and then it's just, I don't know, it seems really convenient, you know. Gee, we really need some Stark Tech to make these human bombs. Oh, look, here's some Stark Tech, you know, how convenient. And, you know, it would think someone who's a super genius like, you know, Ezekiel Stain might, you know, be a little, hink, you know, notice something was a little hinky with a coincidence Well, there, we'll, we'll, I mean? we'll find out that he, he did. Right. He did know. Yeah, right. it just... I just it just seems like the thing that's in the first issue kind of is contradicted by oh no question not only that and what's in the fifth issue too I mean I don't want to give away the ending before we get to it but I mean what they say in the first issue is totally contradicted by this and what happens in the fifth issue you see, see I like I mean? the black I, I I do I absolutely see what you mean um, well let's go back to the beginning of the issue because I think the read. First of all, Reed and Tony Stark playing chess on like five boards simultaneously is really cool. Yeah, that scene's awesome. And I mean, they again, Fraction shows off his really good year for dialogue because it sounds like Reed Richards, it sounds like Tony Stark, and it sounds like the kind of you know discussion that two geniuses of that level would have. You know, and, and right. another layer of this whole, you know, yes, it's part of the continuity. Yes, it's the, it's the next Iron Man series, ongoing series. But it's also appointing or it's also giving the new reader somewhere else in the Marvel Universe to go. It's like Tony is friends with Reed Richards. You know, go over to Fantastic Four to find out more about Reed Richards. So it's another one of those cameos that's been laced throughout these, this whole first arc. Right. You're totally right, Ken. They should have just put a little box out, you know, a little editor's note. I, I really, that was like something that Stan Lee and, and they did in Marvel for a long, long time. Yeah. When I was a kid. I would see some new character and be like, who the heck is that? And there would be editor's note, you know, follow the adventures of Daredevil in his own Marvel comic. And then I mean, I'd be they, they did Daredevil it for the cover. they did it for the MODOK acronym. Why couldn't they do it for, for this? Right, exactly. It would have been nothing to just throw a little box, you know, follow the adventures of Reed Richards and the Fantastic Four in their own comic. Especially if this is supposed to be the gateway comic for people who just, you know, seen the movie and that's their only exposure to Iron Man. He's been working at drawing this parallel between Tony and Ezekiel. Like, like Jim, you know, you keep saying you don't really get Ezekiel, and I think he's attempting it. Like, again, you know, like Ezekiel's plan is to hit all of Stark's plants in one shot. And, you know, now Tony's playing chess, and he checkmates him on all boards at once, and now he knows how he's going to, you know, beat Ezekiel. And he, you see what I'm getting at? Like, he's trying to draw these comparisons and the whole thing about the heat yield problems that they're both having, and he he just he misses the mark a little bit, I think. Yeah, I could totally understand him saying. I mean, that's a great way to set up a villain is like a dark parallel of you know the hero himself. Like uh, Two Face is a good example. You know, the the good side of Two Face is is far you know more about justice and revenge than Batman is. You know what I mean? Right. But um, and you know, setting up a parallel to your hero is a great way to set up a good villain. But I just, um, it just seems like Stain is just very one note, you know. It's like, you, you killed my father, you killed my father, you know. It just, it doesn't, I mean, it seems like he would want to take him down on a corporate level more than just, you know, beat him up or whatever. You know what I mean? Assuming you're saying, right. assuming the, the person is sane, you're absolutely right. 
and, and Tony gets into it later that you know he's really not trying to, you know, killing him is not really the the goal. It's to ruin him. Um, but they haven't got. But to this point, they haven't really made you feel that believe that yet. And I don't know how. Like I, I like the Pepper Potts angle. I like that he used his tech to save her, and she doesn't want any part of Tony's tech in her because again, it draws the parallel. Like you know, she's the really good person, and Stark has all these bad points about him. Like I get that, but I didn't need to see her be able to fly. I thought it was just a trick of the perspective of the panel, but then I realized no, she really is supposed to be flying there. Is, yeah, is this all, before be the magnets? Is this before or after or concurrent to the order? If you remember, if anybody read that series, I believe wasn't Pepper part of like the, it was either the California team or one of the uh, the initiative teams, and didn't she have some kind of like tech ability? Like she was the Oracle if, uh, from DC, if, if you will, of that team. I don't know. I didn't read it. I didn't read it either. I just remember. I remember that first issue. I, or reading about about the team. And I remember Pepper Potts being on there and having some kind of implants. I was wondering if this tied into that. If anybody listening knows, email or post on the forum. Let me know. Just one second. Going back to um, to uh, Ezekiel Stain. Um, what what's up with the from the first uh, issue? You get the idea that he's kind of like his dad, and where he's like this hotshot young businessman in a way and then they get to where he is now it almost starts almost the second issue is that he's an under the radar no one knows who he is type guy no he never he was never the i I know what you're getting at but he was never like the he was never supposed to be the like the taking over the stain legacy okay He's always. I kind of got un- that. I kind of felt that's what they're trying to say if, in the first issue when he went into that tobacco company. I think they. I think they were trying to get at the tobacco company. Didn't care. The tobacco company just wanted him to do that stuff so that their cigarettes would be more marketable. You know that was part of what he was berating them about that they would even like let somebody like him do this. <laughs> and he looks was- like Grant Morrison. <laughs> <laughs> was the. Uh- what was the point of the uh, the soda fountain or the vending machine like subplot? I mean, I, I can see they're trying to say, hey, he's trying to do good things also, but it just didn't feel like it was important at all to the story. Well, I think they're showing the you know they they use a few panels to show the all the different hats, so to speak, that he's wearing. You know, one day he's helping those new superheroes take over for the ones in the Philippines that, uh, that were killed. You know, then they're, then they're cutting to the tech getting moved around the country. You know, then they cut to, he's going to buy this soda company. You know, then if you look at those two panels, it has Tony like kind of looking up into the sky and then it switches to like Iron Man in the exact same pose. So now he's doing his superhero thing. Like, I think it's showing like all the different facets of Tony. I think the whole sequence it was with the vending machine in particular wasn't so much. Yes, it was a show that he's wearing all these different hats and doing all these things simultaneously, but also showing how Tony, it's that side of Tony that people don't see. They always see the, the, uh, the weapons designer or the superhero. You know, he really is trying to save the world. In this case, he's just trying to use the vending machines to, to, to send out, distribute vaccines to countries that would normally not get to it, get them. And he's just trying in his own way. Uh, or in another way to save save the world uh, from itself, or to save the world in general. He's very inconsistent in drawing 
Maria Hill. Yeah, she looks like Jessica Alba in that one picture, but she doesn't look like that at all until now. It's like she, keeps, she, keeps, like she looks like a boy in the next page. And she keeps losing the uh, he keeps losing the picture she's using for photo reference. He has to get a new one every time. <laughs> um, something I start to notice a little bit in this issue, and I, I noticed a little bit in earlier issues. I always see Marvel as being like the more realistic, real world um, type uh, environments. And some of the, the views of the cities that I've seen uh, are kind of really futuristic looking. And, and I don't know, I think not that it really matters, I guess, but it's just something I, I noticed that uh, I guess maybe with the tech angle of Iron Man, maybe that's why they decided to go that way. Yeah, I've always had the same opinion that you know Marvel is more grounded in science and DC was more based in, in magic. I mean, obviously there's exceptions on both sides, but that's in the general terms. I, I've had the same feeling. Okay, so issue five is Code Black, and we find out that um, all around the world in, in Stark Industry Plants, Stain has people put in place that are, are going to do something terrible, and Tony has set up the Code Black, which is a full evacuation. It seems that Iron Man sets out and he has tried to pinpoint the, um, the presence of Ezekiel himself at which one of these places he'll be um, so he can intercept. And then Tony shows up and we have Ezekiel in the basement, I guess. He's being led around by Sasha, who's kind of like his eyes and ears, um, leading him around the plant. Um, they find out that the evacuation is underway and that uh, Tony is on his way. So they're going to start moving this along a little bit faster, and they are successful in blowing up one plant in Valencia. Um, so it seems that 58 people at least were killed in that blast. So Tony's taking the uh, brunt of that responsibility on himself, and he's going to confront Stain. And this issue, we finally get the throwdown that's been building up. Uh, we get some good action, a bunch of pages with not a lot of dialogue, just a lot of banter back and forth about... Um, Ezekiel telling Tony he's obsolete and he's old and they're just kind of throwing each other around in, in some really good action panels. Tony's taking a, a, a beating. Um, seems Ezekiel's power is extremely strong and um, he's giving Tony a real hard time. And at the end of the issue it seems that uh, Iron Man has had his head blown off by Ezekiel Stane. In the last page we have Ezekiel uh, standing over Iron Man saying he's dead. Tony Stark is dead. Who's next? So that was kind of like a polar opposite issue of what's been going on for the first four, I would say. Yeah, there's a lot of action going on. It's uh, it's very uh, widescreen, quote-unquote, like they refer to the Authority or Morrison's JLA or whatever this issue is. Uh, especially the knockdown drag out at the end. It's it's just very, you know, you're obsolete, I'm the, ne- you know, I'm the next uh, step, and you're an old man in a tin can, all that kind of thing. And uh, did anybody else think that uh, Ezekiel Stane and his armor kind of look like Carmine from Gears of War? <laughs> I was just, yeah, I get that, but I was kind of bothered that that they put him in then armor. I, I thought he'd be a lot. I understand that it was came from the story, but I thought it'd be a lot cooler how he was in those first issues, where you know, like every time he used his power, it you know burnt him up a little bit. I thought that was would be a more interesting way to put it instead of, because I, I don't, it seems like Iron Man always has some guy in armor that he's fighting, and 
I think it'd be pretty cool if they would have kept it the other way around. Uh, that being said, that the action scenes in this um, this probably is one of my favorite issues out of this set, uh, just because I think it's a pretty well drawn, quick moving, fun story. See, I like that he's he's not really in armor yet. He's just in like a suit with a helmet. But um, see, I kind of took it as he's getting closer to Iron Man. You know, like that. His, you know, what he keeps talking about is I'm the next step. I'm the evolution. And now it's it's almost like putting him in the armor. It's almost like he is. You know, he's getting closer to that point. You know, he's getting to his goal. Well, it um, seems like he, what he is is almost what uh, the extremist armor was originally supposed to be. Right, like a human uh, upgrade. Right. Right, rather than uh, rather than more like machine. Right. I really think that he draws, you know, the armor and the tech and the, uh, you know, the damage and, and things like that a lot better than human faces. Yeah, I agree. Like I said, it really has to look at the tech, uh, the Stark tech down and everything. Like you were saying before about uh, setting up the parallel between the hero and the villain, uh, everything on Iron Man comes from the, is on the outside. You know, at, at very basic you know, level, Tony Stark is just a guy you know, wearing a suit. Uh, even with the extremists, you know, uh, virus and what have you, everything for Stain comes from the inside out. He's using his own body energy and harnessing it. So right. it's, that's an interesting parallel between the two as well. And the other the other parallel that you get, and I think again, like. <laughs> I think this is what Fraction's trying to do, and I, I really got it, and I'm a big Iron Man fan, and, and maybe I was, I don't know, maybe I was in tune to a little bit more, but they go through the whole thing, they go through a bunch of panels about the heat expenditures, right? And Tony complains for a while that, you know, he's obsolete, he's old, he can't get these boots to not give off all this heat, and that's why those missiles that are fired at him can follow him because of all the heat coming off of his boots and what happens in this fight he uses the rocket boots to blast ezekiel off of him so it's almost like kind of trying to say you know it he still he is still relevant you know the, it, it doesn't mean that because things were you know starting to get the older way of do things that it's not going to work anymore you see what i'm getting at even calls it the you know th- this old gag. I mean that that's the, something that's been seen before using the boots as a weapon. Right, exactly. But you know they he took that time to like talk about the boots earlier, and oh, I yeah. think it was definitely like to lead to that point. No, I, th- I think this issue would have been uh, really cool, John. You read this in trade, didn't you? Yeah, or- I read like the first three issues, and then I uh, got the hardcover when it came out. I think this would would have been really cool to read as it was coming out, just because of this issue where you don't know it is iron man really dead or i mean obviously probably since he restarts the series probably not but it would, still would have had that uh that thought just yeah uh, it, was, it was definitely a cool cliffhanger so i guess that goes into issue six irrational actors and we get um Ezekiel wants to get a good look at Tony, starts ripping apart the armor, and of course we find out that it was a remote piloted uh, suit of armor, that it wasn't in fact Tony. Tony was controlling it from another location, and this is where we get that chess game revelation uh, to come into play. He's decided that he's going to get his whole army of armors working together at all of the different 
locations and some of them are going to fight the good fight. Some of them are going to help evacuate uh, people. Some of them are going to put out the fires in Valencia. He split up all of his armors into a giant army where he can do all this work at once. So we get, uh, we get some cuts to the different locations and, um, Tony is kind of orchestrating the whole thing from inside one of the suits and he orders some of the suits to kill uh, four of these terrorists that are about to set off in a, in a different location. Um, we have Maria Hill and Pepper standing on. And then we get Ezekiel wondering, where's the real Tony? And just then Tony crashes down from the sky and now the, the two of them are really going to have at it. And they go at it for a bunch of pages. Again, the banter's going back and forth. And then Tony unleashes something, which we don't know what it is quite yet, that kills all of the power. Uh, they lose the feed. We see darkness in all of the different locations where this stuff was going on. And we find out that Tony has uh, a kill switch for all of his Stark Tech and EMP. Um, so he shut all Stark technology down at one time so that all of these pieces of Stark tech armor couldn't be used to set off these explosions. Um, and at this point, Tony gets out of the armor. And, of course, Ezekiel has to get out of his helmet as well because none of it's working. And now they have the good old-fashioned uh, throwdown where the two of them are in their skivvies basically throwing kicks and punches at each other. We get some really good bloody action here. There's some... Uh, good punches thrown and some beat up faces and a, a rock to the face. And Tony eventually defeats Ezekiel and Ezekiel tells him, you know, why don't you kill me? Get it over with already. And uh, Tony instead just lets him know that your dad was smarter than you and harder to beat. And that seems to be the one thing that hurts uh, Ezekiel's pride more than anything else. We then clip to the helicarrier and uh, Tony's back in his suit. Um, they tell him that the four deaths um, happened when, when his Iron Man armors had to shut those terrorists down. Um, so Tony's responsible for four more deaths of, of those gentlemen, and uh, he seems to be pretty upset with that. Uh, he says to himself that Stain's given him a sixth nightmare. He's learned the kind of things that he has to do to keep his nightmares from coming true. Um, and you see Tony kind of looking out over the city, um, and his reflection in the glass is the Iron Man armor, not himself. And uh, you get a very sad-looking Iron Man armor head at the bottom of the last panel. And that's the end of the arc uh, before we get to the epilogue. Now, let me ask a question real quick. Why didn't he just do that after the first bombing? Why didn't he just shut down all the Star Tech then? I don't know. <laughs> be a pretty short, uh, short series if he did. Yeah, like if you noticed that people were using his tech as suicide bombers, he could have just shut it off then. I'm going to guess that there would be pretty extreme consequences for him to even think about doing that. As a, yeah, it's more it, of a, it more of a, seem to just be a shut off. It yeah, seems to be a, like it kills all of the technology because, you know, Stain says to him, what are you nuts? You just like ruined your entire. Yeah, it's like it's just on everything. Like any production of, or of anything that's anywhere in the world is, is now off. Well, I understand that, but wouldn't the you know saving human lives you know supersede you know uh, corporate loss? I, I, I don't even think it's a question of corporate loss. It's more of a like there had to be some immediate danger in order to even think about doing something like that. Um, it's more of a last resort yeah, type thing. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well let me ask you this: at the beginning of the, uh, as I said before, at the beginning of the series, he said, you know, they collected all the armor, and there are only two suits of armor now: his and Rhodey's. 
And yet the last issue, there's like, what, 30 of them? Between the four different... I'm, two, I'm sorry. Two active... Maybe we can interpret it as the rest are all he's just had in storage, like we've seen in various incarnations. The room full of armors. I guess that's that's, that's, that's not what he says, though. That's not what he says. Yeah, but. it might have been worded poorly because he's always had tons of different armor, you know, available to him. I mean, there's the Hulk Buster, and there's like the stealth one, and the underwater one. Like he's always had. Yeah, it. yeah, I, I get always that. Always had it's a just, lot of armor, so I guess it was worded poorly. It's just that they made such a point of it in the first issue that you know there were only two left. And now here at the end, there are right. you know, dozens. Yeah, little things like that, I can I can live with. I'm not going to nitpick them to that degree. You know, it's you know the missing word "actives." You know, makes it all okay, and I can live with that. The, I'm just saying, Marvel think, should get rid of Matt Fraction. And let me write Iron Man. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> the thing I didn't get about um, from from what they said in the first uh, issue, I, I know that he's working with um, Stark Technology. But I thought that he was powering this uh, this suit of armor from his own uh, energy source, like as far mm-hmm. as like human energy, right? Somehow, and, and really, they call it an EMP that he uses. Mm-hmm. How does how's that going to affect him? He's not really electrical stuff. Stuff still broke though. Well, yeah. they 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 make the point a number of times in the in the series that Stain needs Tony Stark. Like it, it's not all stain. He's yeah. mixing he, his stuff with Stark stuff. He's so. basically invented nothing. He's like uh, he's just made it. Uh, you know, just just tweaked something that was already there. Right. So it's not like he. It would be like taking the expo- the, the explosive part of a, of a nuclear bomb and using it to make a dirty bomb. It's like he yeah. adapted higher yes. technology to make something more destructive. Or or, or or put put another way, I think that they put in the book somewhere. He didn't invent bread. He didn't invent peanut butter. He didn't invent jelly. But boy, did he put them all together. Right. I did like the. Um, I, I thought the final beatdown was uh, was pretty violent. That was cool. There was some stuff in this book that was a little bit pushing the envelope. I mean, even staying in that first scene in the boardroom, like when he shoots them, there's like body parts flying up and stuff. Um, and we get a good bloody punching scene here, which is pretty cool. Plus, I, I would figure that he would have run out of calories by then because the last time he used all his powers, you know, in the boardroom or whatever, he mm-hmm. had to like pump that goo yeah, or was, whatever. He was probably pretty worn you down, know? yeah. So I, I've thought, I mean, when I saw what happened, I was like, oh, he's going to run out of energy, then Tony's just going to kick his butt. But. Right. So then we have an epilogue issue, which really doesn't tie, to, well, it does tie into the arc because they're, they're visiting one of the um, sites. But it starts off with uh, Ben Yurick, and Ben is um, now, I guess, the editor for a different paper. He, he mentions that the Daily Bugle is now the DB, and yeah. it's... It, that's um, all stuff that came out of the uh, the Amazing Spider-Man post one more day. The the DB portion of it, Frontline is uh, his own newspaper that basically he and another reporter who I can't remember her name started in the wake of Civil War. If you remember the front, Civil War Frontline and then later on World War Hulk and Secret Invasion Frontline, it's based around Ben Urich and his little paper Frontline. And Peter's been moonlighting as a photographer for him as well as for the D- well after after he was fired from the DB. Right. And, was it Jessica? Uh, was it Jessica Jones from Alias? No. Okay. So Peter shows up, and Ben tells him that uh, 
he, he wants Peter to take a shot at the Stark facility in Long Island where one of the explosions went down. You know, they're going to they're going to do a piece on it. And they talk about uh, Clifton Pollard a little bit. And um, Clifton was the grave digger for uh, John F. Kennedy. And there was a great piece done on him by Jimmy Breslin. And so um, Ben is explaining to Peter that that's the kind of piece they want to do. So they go to the press conference with Tony. And, you know, they're not real interested in in doing anything with Tony at that point. They're really looking for an, for a uh, lower-level type view. They want to get somebody who works at Stark every day and saw everything went down. And, and they want to get that perspective for the story. So we find out that at night, after Tony does all of his um, uh, press conferences and everything, he actually helps out in the Iron Man armor to rebuild this facility. And there's a worker that's about to get crushed by some things that are that are going to collapse. And Spider-Man swings in and uh, and saves the guy. Tony tells Spider-Man he doesn't want him help his help because Spider-Man is unregistered and an outlaw. Um, so we kind of kick Spider-Man out of the facility. Spider-Man, being the uh, tricky guy that he is, sticks a little spider tracer on Tony on the way out. And he follows Tony to the house of the Tinkerer. Um, Tony is trying to track down all of this black market stuff so he can get it out uh, once and for all. Things go badly at the Tinkerer's house. Spider-Man helps out again. Tony gets angry at him again. Eventually, Spider-Man convinces Tony to, to let him in on it. Um, and they're going to go together to some of the other locations where they can find this black market stuff. Uh, they end up at the mansion um, of Mr. Gross again, where Tony tells him that uh, he wants to bring him into S.H.I.E.L.D. to talk to him about the whole black market scenario. Tony and Spider-Man end up back at the scene. Uh, Tony begins to explain how he's, uh, you know, he's just really unsure of himself, of how everything's going. And... Um, Spider-Man leaves and clicks the picture. Peter does get the great picture of Tony, who's kind of got the mask flipped up, and he's sitting on all of the uh, rubble, and he's rubbing his head, looking pretty dejected. And we get the front page of the Frontline newspaper, uh, the head that wears the crown, and we get Peter's picture of uh, Tony on the wreckage. And that is the epilogue for The Five Nightmares called Clifton Pollard. I really like this actually. I, I, he Fraction did a great job with Spider-Man too with the dialogue and and how Spider-Man should act. What do you guys think of this as a wrap up? That's exactly what I thought. I thought the Spider-Man's just a fun character yeah. and uh I I think he definitely got him uh the quippy remarks he made and uh it's it's just it's Spider-Man and he wrote him right on. Um and also tied it into uh the brand new day stuff and everything that was going on in that tight and the spider-man titles now according to this and maybe ken can help us out with timelines and stuff it seems that tony doesn't know that spider-man is peter no and he but, shouldn't based off of one more day right, yeah right but he knows peter worked at stark right he knows apparently he doesn't know tony, peter worked at stark he knows that he left um, doesn't realize that he was Spider-Man at this point, so that was a little confusing or sketchy to me at first. Only because if you, in one more day, the whole idea was that not even Peter and Mary Jane were going to remember what happened, um, just like this nagging sensation in the back of their mind. But there's been moments in Amazing Spider-Man and now this that suggest that Peter knows exactly what happened before and after. 
uh, one more day and knows what the deal was and remembers clearly that, you know, what's going on. So I'm still waiting for that to be reconciled. But um, so just seeing the way the way they handle the deal, uh, the, the, the end of one more day in these books is, is confusing to say the least. Cause it's not consistent. Yeah, like I said before, I had only read the Civil War miniseries, and I hadn't really been following the Spider-Man books. And when the whole thing went down with Tony and Peter, I was like, wait a minute, he just revealed who he was to the whole world in Civil War, didn't he? Wouldn't Tony remember? And I, it was very confusing to me. And I, I mean, I know what happened with Brand New Day and One More Day or whatever, but it just kind of made the story a little, I don't know, hinky Yeah, well, I, Yeah, again, with, with One More Day... Um, Basically, at the end of one more day, nobody knows. Nobody knows that Peter is Spider-Man. Period. It, it, that includes anybody. See, they could have done it like anybody who found out Peter was Spider-Man after he revealed himself would forget. But no, they did. From nobody knows. You know, Norman Osborn doesn't even know. Venom doesn't even know. You know, of anybody who should know, Venom should know who's, who Spider-Man is, but he doesn't know. So that's that's uh, a little a little goofy. How how is written here? Because so just very inconsistent uh, in general how they're writing it. Now, but other than that, I thought it was a solid issue. I mean, it, it was probably my favorite of the bunch yeah. we read for tonight. You know, if you want to do some comic relief, not that's a little strong, but something to relieve the tension of the last six issues, bringing uh, bringing Spider Man in the the the, the, the wise cracking friendly neighborhood Spider Man is a, is a great way to do it. Definitely shows some of the emotional uh, baggage that Tony's carrying, especially as we get to that last panel uh, and the picture that Peter got. Uh, and just one of the many fun fun lines is when uh, Ben is asking Peter, oh, my God, what did you do for him? Oh, nothing spectacular or amazing. Right, right. Well, that, that's the question that, uh, that I had that I was a little confused about. His, his, only, his only employment for Stark was as Spider-Man, right? Like, he... did, Peter, did Peter work for Stark in any other capacity? I think to P- Peter was on the books. To do stuff, he was because I mean Peter is known to be uh, a scientist of his own right. Just that he hasn't actually actively done anything. It's one of the first things they dealt with in the first issue of Brand New Day was, you know, what you been doing? Oh, nothing. And there's a big two-page spread of all the different villains he's fought over the years. Um, but like he, Tony knows Peter is a, is a is a is a brilliant scientist, and I think he was on the books at one point. Um, yeah, he definitely he definitely was on the books. He was almost like uh, like Tony's personal assistant. Uh, yeah, right before everything went on. Right. So, but like, it, yeah, that's I remember that. But that was like as Spider Man when he made him like the spider armor and everything. Yeah, right? well, when they were when they were living in in the mansion after after uh, Aunt May's house burned down, uh, they they moved into Avengers Tower, and, and this is where. You got to stick your head in the sand with some of this one more day stuff because you're right. He was there because he was Spider Man, but Peter had a job there. I mean, the, Tony gave a reason, you know, for the public why Peter Parker would be living in the mansion along with Mary Jane and Aunt May. So it is probably known that Peter Parker worked for for Tony Stark. Um, now the the stick your head in the sand part comes in now with one more day is like okay. Assuming now Tony doesn't know who the Peter Spider-Man, now why is Peter there? Uh, and some things you just have to just say, oh, oh okay, really? And move on. Um, and then people start tearing up comics on YouTube. <laughs> I enjoy this series mostly because it 
it reboot it kind of rebooted Iron Man again, and the the director of Shield title was so weighed down by event after event after event. Um, and then, like the issues in between events were were lacking severely, so I was I'm excited to have Matt Fraction on Iron Man, and and he showed in this that at least he was trying to head it in the right direction. Um, it wasn't just a movie tie-in, and he didn't come up with his own crazy schemes. You know, it's it's Tony Stark, it's Iron Man, the history. You know, he he's following the history, so I guess I'm happy to get. Iron Man going in the right direction with this again. Um, we've certainly pointed out that it, it wasn't perfect. Has anybody read this this series since after this volume one, like issues eight through eight, eight and forward? Has anybody read any more of what's coming up? No, I haven't. I'm, okay. I'm trading it. Is volume two available yet or has been solicited yet? Are we that many issues in yet? Yeah, I think I think it'll be solicited real soon. Okay. They're... they're uh, They've actually been pushing the next arc really hard, which is Iron Man versus War Machine, which War Machine mm-hmm. took over the old title of right. Iron Man. Um, they kind of War, Mach- started- War Machine Weapon Shield now, right? Yes. And Maria Hill and uh, Maria Hill and Tony Stark are on the run together, right? After the events of Dark Reign. Did, didn't Rahim. didn't Maria Hill? Isn't she part of the Secret Warriors now? Isn't she joined up with Nick Fury after the whole you know Fury was right sequence in Secret Invasion? I seem to remember her like resigning in front of Norman Osborn. Oh yeah, she been that, that was in Dark Avengers number one. one. That's exactly where that was. Right. I, I guess going forward, my my one question now with uh, with this one is what's coming for Tony? Because I think with the end of Secret Invasion, Tony is probably at his lowest point since dealing with a bottle, or you know, since alcoholism in general. Uh, he's been ousted from Shield. He's basically alone at this point and i'm curious to see where this title is going to go from this point forward now whatever happens in between issues seven and wherever secret invasion ends i i really don't know yet um but i'm actually interested now in tony uh because he's basically has to rebuild himself back up again yeah and i don't know if i mean obviously these issues are in continuity with you know the thor and the spider-man stuff but I don't think any of them have had like dark rain banners or anything yet. You know, I don't know if they've gotten into, you know, what's going on with Tony right now as of yet. I know, like I said, I know that there's some stuff where War Machine is going to be involved. Um, maybe War Machine's trying to bring him in for all we know. But um, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I've uh, I've switched to trade, so it'll be a while before I even find out. <laughs> yeah. Very good. So, I guess that about wraps it up. Awesome. Another Legion of Dudes in the books. Join us in the next couple of weeks. Uh, next week, we're finally going to get to see the Watchmen movie, guys. It's been you know, a long time coming, and uh, 369 is right around the corner. So, you'll be getting our thoughts on the Watchmen movie and our Watchmen movie special. Plus, you'll hear the interview that Adam Umack and I did with uh, Clay Enos. The uh, set photographer uh, from Watchmen, who also has the Watchmen Portraits book out from Titan Books. And then the week after that, we'll be returning with our maxi-series Kingdom Come uh, Part 2. So that'll be exciting for all you Kingdom Come fans out there. If you have any comments, suggestions, soup recipes, or uh, your mama jokes, please send them to comments at legionofdudes.com. Check out our brother podcast, Half Hour Wasted, on the 
on the www.halfhourwasted.com or www.legionofdudes.com. They'll get you to the same place, which is www.hhwlod.com. You can check out all our exclusive content we have on our website. Um, we have video content. We have blogs. We have news reports, all kinds of fun stuff. So check that out. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening and for all your good comments and uh, emails and uh, whatnot. We really appreciate everyone we get. And we will see you next week for the Watchmen movie. Yep. Yay. Yay. Dr. Manhattan's Willie on a 50 foot screen. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> your mama's so hairy, Bigfoot takes pictures of her. Oh, your mama fight. Good night. Your mama's Good night. Son, Jar Jar helped nice. his pimple. You just strike a match in my hand to black to tan. Heavy metal rhythm from a one man band. Bust my knuckles in a junkyard scuffle. Whipping adversaries with a brass belt buckle. Born in the ghetto, hard like metal. Got an 87 back with a fat gas pedal. Live a hard life, shave with a knife. Love to get freaky on the gloomiest night. I got time.